Well, we're in the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation, and I want you to please look with me at a very, uh, it's a very um, horrifying place in the Word of God. Um, I have, you know, I've heard a, a little here and a little there of, boy, this has really been strong. It, it, um, it's, it's really been tough because so many times people don't see Jesus Christ like this. Uh, we see Jesus Christ as this suffering Savior, this, this Lamb of God who has taken away the sin of this world. That's the way we picture Him. But the book of Revelation doesn't picture Him like that. The book of Revelation pictures Him as a lion, pictures Him as a judge that has come to the judge this world. And this particular chapter, it is the bomb. It is the end of all ends of this particular place in Scripture. But... The book of Revelation isn't in chronological order, so it doesn't end right here. There's more to it. But this is basically it. As a matter of fact, you've turned with me to the 14th chapter. I want you to see what it says in the 15th chapter concerning this issue of where we are right now. In verse 1 of chapter 15, John writes, I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, Seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. I want you to look at the eighth verse in this same chapter, chapter 15. John says, the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. That, that should remind you and me out of what, 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 the, what Isaiah saw when he saw the Lord God in the temple of God. In other words, the smoke from the temple was, was, was filling the temple, the glory of God, from His power. No one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. And then if you look uh, at, uh, say, the, uh, let's see, where am I now here? Look with me, please, at the 17th verse of chapter 16. When it says the seventh angel, after the seventh angel poured out the bowl of wrath upon the earth. He poured it upon the air, it says in the 17th verse, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. We are at that place where it is finished. This is a very, chapter 14, from verses 14 to 20, is a horrific place in the word of God. It's terrifying. And, and, and the point of, of what I think the Lord is trying to say to you and me as we study through this is, this is what it's going to look like at the end of, of the age. This is what it's going to be like. And it, it ought to put a shiver down your and my spine if there are people that we know that don't know the Lord. Because our call on this earth is to be able to sow the seed of God so as that people might come to trust and believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through our lives, through the way they see us. It, it, we are to be light to this earth. We are to be salt to the earth. We are to be the people that draw people to the Lord. And, and you might say, well, you know, I'm no Billy Graham. Well, man, me neither. But, but the Lord uses us at all levels. He will take from the mild of, of us to the, the ones that are like the Billy Grahams of this world. He will take whatever it is that you have to offer and he will use it for his glory. May I give you an example, please? Uh, um, there was a, a dear friend of mine that, that I went through college with that some years ago now he came to my home and and he says, I, I want to be a believer like you. I mean, what is, it that, what is it that's changed your life? And so in my living room, we, 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 we shared the, the wonders of Jesus Christ. And he 
knelt down on his knees, and I got down on my knees, and he asked Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. The two of us had another friend, a mutual friend from our college days. This are, these are years ago. People have been friends for a long, long time. And this one particular guy was an agnostic, maybe an atheist, whatever. He just didn't believe there was a God. He'd never seen him. He doesn't believe in it. And so if it's, you want to believe that way, fine. And the problem was he was smarter than the both of us. He was really a smart guy. And so he had thought it through, and he just didn't feel like there was a Savior. And we shared with him, but he wanted nothing to do with it. Well, every time I would talk with him, when I finished talking with him, I would tell him, you know, I, I love you. And I just love you. And about, I don't know how long ago now, I'm guessing oh, a while ago, he and his wife came to believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They now have a Bible study in their home. It's, it's like, it's, it's, now he's freaky. Now he's really getting to be kind of weird, you know, like, not weird, but, but he's really out there. He really trusts and believes in Jesus Christ. But about six months ago, he, he called me and he said, I want to ask you a question. He says, I don't know that I've ever told my children and I haven't told my wife very often or my family that I love them. And yet, you tell me you love me almost every time we talk. Why? I told him. His friendship meant the world to me. I told him that uh, he's been a true friend and kind throughout our whole lives. Back in school, when we were in college together, he's he just a great friend. And I said, I just love you. And so we had more of a conversation. And at the end of the conversation, he said, I want to say something to you. And I knew it. I felt it was coming. And he says, I want to tell you I love you. And then he's telling me that that meant a lot to him, that over the years that I would tell him I love him, Folks, I wasn't like a huge evangelist. I was just simply telling a friend that you love him. Now that's my personality. I learned that from my mom and dad. I, 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 I learned that from them. But if it's not your bent, you don't have to do that. But the Bible says that the Lord says that we should love one another. In, in John chapter 13, it says we should have love for one another. Love each other, he says, like I love you. And then he said this, by this, by the way you love one another, all people are going to know you're my disciples. The reason I say this story to you at all is because this is the crux of what is, is taking place in this 14th chapter. It is a time where Jesus Christ does not come back as this, as this lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world. You see, when he first came, Paul explained him very beautifully in the book of Philippians, the second chapter, the 6th, 7th, and 8th verse. Listen to what Paul said concerning Jesus Christ, his first coming. It says, although he, talking about Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Rather, it says in verse 7, he emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself and took the form of a bond servant, being made in the likeness of men. And then it says in the 8th verse, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death 
on a cross. That's how we recognized Jesus Christ, most of us. Because most of us don't get into the study of the book of Revelation. Most churches don't touch it. But we don't see him in his, as King of kings and Lord and Lord as a judge of this earth. Because we just don't. When Jesus Christ came the first time, he said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, I have come, the Son of God has come, so as to seek and to save those who are what? Lost. I've come, he says, to seek and to save those of you who are lost. When he left, he gave that responsibility to you and me as believers. He has asked us to reach out to people and to bring them the best we can into the kingdom of God. And that is your call on life. When Jesus Christ comes the second time, as we see him here in the book of Revelation, especially here in the 14th chapter in the book of Revelation, when he comes the second time, we are told in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, that he will come to judge the living and the dead. And so it happens here in the 14th chapter. Please read with me these words in verses 14 through 20. John says, I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man, having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, because the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. I want you to note that word. It is repeated again in verse 18. Verse 16. And he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. And another angel, the one who, was, who had power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Put in your sharp sickle, and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. The angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the cluster from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. That's hard to explain right there. Verse 20, I don't understand. I I will tell you that up front. I'm going to give you a shot at it, but it's just that. I mean... I can't imagine, can you? Horse's bridle, that's about four feet tall. 200 miles, blood throughout the whole valley. I don't get it. I think what it does is what what most of the commentators said at this point. It is to show us the, the horrific consequences of this, as I entitled this message, the final harvest. Blood will be shed beyond our wildest dream. I told you there's, there's, there's a word that is used twice in this particular place in Scripture. In verses 15 and 18, the word is ripe. 
Most of us think of it as ripe. Boy, I'd love to have a ripe, a nice ripe pear, a nice ripe peach, a nice ripe something to eat. Well, this word ripe does not mean ripe in that fashion. It means dried up. It means useless. It means rotten. What the Bible is saying here is that the Lord God is commanding Jesus Christ to come and to reap with the sickle the earth because the people are rotten to the core. How did it get to be like this? What can we do to help? That's the message. The message is how, the, how can you and I change the outcome of some of our family members, our friends, our loved ones, even those we don't even like so much? How can we touch their hearts with the message of Jesus Christ? It could be maybe just you telling someone you love them or giving them a cold drink of water or just being a friend in a time of need. But unless you can see what is happening to the earth and unless it gets into your innermost being and you just shrug your shoulders, there's going to be a lot of them dying, so, so sorry. Then you really... You really can't go out and do what God's called us to do, and that's to reach this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dr. McGee wrote on and on and on about this place in Scripture. He, he reasoned that he has not been called, as much as he would like to, he has not been called to harvest this earth. That's the Lord's job. The Lord separates the tares from the wheat and, and does what he wishes at that time. What he has been called to do is the same thing that you and I have been called to do, and that's to sow the seed of God, to be, as it says in the Old Testament, to sound the, the, the trumpet, to warn the people that Jesus Christ is real. And some of us will be able to do that. And some of us will be able to lead some of our family and friends and our loved ones to Christ. And for that I say, God bless you. I pray that you never stop trying to reach people for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now let's pray and let's take a look at this particular place in Scripture and, and see why it's so uh, horrific to me. It's so just overwhelmingly terrible. But there is hope on it. Father, please open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things from, thy, from their law. Let us read and take heed, Father, what we have just read out of Scripture and and see how we can be, uh, maybe make a difference in someone's life, anyone's life. Please, dear Father, may we be light. May we be salt in this dark and dying world. And Father, I pray with all of my heart, as I do every week, that you would move me aside. Let, let, the, let the one that gives the message be really ir irrelevant, it not important at all. Please, Father, so that you might, as you do, to myself or any one of us here minister to us, that you might comfort us. Some of us need comforting, Father. Also, some of us need to be convicted. Some of us need to be challenged, Father. And Whatever it is that we need, Father, I can't fulfill that need in anyone's life. I, I don't know. You do. And so we ask, Father, that through your still, small, and quiet voice within our heart of hearts that you would minister to us. And so please open up our eyes and our hearts so that we might hear from you, we pray. 
We pray this, Father, in the most wonderful and most glorious name of names, the name that you have given to us, our Savior, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name, Father, we pray. Amen. What we see here in the 14th chapter is an amazing event. It starts off in verse 1. Jesus Christ with the 144,000 Jewish evangelists standing on Mount Zion. But then all of a sudden, in verse 14, John describes the appearance of Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. Look at verse 14 again, because verse 14 is almost everything to the rest of this chapter. Verse 14 says, John says, I looked and behold, there was four things that he saw. He saw a white cloud. He saw sitting on the cloud, one like the Son of Man. That's two. The one who is the Son of Man had a golden crown on his head. That's three. And he also had a sharp sickle. That's four in his hand. With this sharp sickle, you and I can surmise that he is going to now come to earth just as he had promised to hand out his final wrath upon mankind. In the first chapter of this book, the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 7, John reported, Behold, Jesus Christ is coming with the clouds. Every eye is going to see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So be it, he says, Amen. Well, what we read here in verses 14 to 20 is the mighty hand of God at work through his judgment at what might be called the harvest time, the final harvest. It is reported in Joel this very moment. In the Old Testament, we were forewarned this was going to take place. Joel, in chapter 3, verse 13, listen to what Joel says. Joel says, put in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe, not ripe nice, ripe rotten. Listen, listen to what he says. Come, tread, for the wine press is full, the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. They're beyond help. They're rotten. So in verse 14 we see a white cloud and on this white cloud is one like the Son of Man. Now, Jesus Christ called himself the Son of Man throughout the Gospels, but he was also mentioned as that in the Old Testament. Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, nails it. Daniel says, I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the ancients of, the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him, and to him, meaning to him, the Son of Man, we know now as Jesus Christ, to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that all the people, all the nations, every man of every language might serve him. His dominion is everlasting. It will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. You want to have security? The security of your salvation was written way back in the book of, of Daniel. It was predicted that, 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 that you would be in love with a Savior that had an everlasting dominion that his dominion would not pass away and, and nothing could dis destroy it. 
Jesus said the same of himself in Matthew chapter 24 concerning the Son of Man. He says, the sign will be the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then he says, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the cloud of the sky with power and with great glory. That's the one whom we love. Power and the glory. Not the not the meek, mild Lamb of God. No, this is the one who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who is going to judge the heavens and the earth. And so he comes as the Son of Man, but he also comes on a cloud. The cloud was a symbol of the divine and holy presence of God Almighty. White emphasized his purity. When Jesus Christ was talking to some of the disciples, he it says this of, 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 of that incident in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. It says, When Jesus Christ was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice coming out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then he said three words that I think is, is critical in your life and my life. I love Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, because it is the proclamation, this is my beloved Son, this is the one in whom I am well pleased. And then it said, listen to Him. I mean, that's, that's key to my life. That's key to everything I am. It's, it's why I love the Bible. It's, it's how I am able to listen to Him and, and how He is able to speak to me and, and move me and make me into the type of man that He wants me to be. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, said God Almighty. Listen to Him. And that's why we do what we do here in Scripture. That's why we try to teach the Bible. That's why I ask the Lord, please move me aside. Please, don't even let the people see me. Let them hear your words and let your words minister to each of us. May it be a time where you comfort us, Father, if we need it. May it be a time, Father, where you convict us if, it, if it's needed. Father, may it be a time that you will... Do whatever it is you wish to do with us. And there's no way that any preacher on the face of this earth understands in all of that with all of you. Only God can do what he's going to do to you. And oftentimes some of you will come to me and say, Whoa, how did you know? Well, that really, you did, did you know anything about what I'm going through? And I can honestly say, No, I don't have a clue. It's God does. And so he ministers to you and me through his word. This is my beloved son. This is the one in whom I am well pleased. Listen, listen to him. Listen to that still, quiet voice you hear in your heart. He is taking you to a place that he knows is best for you. And no preacher can do that. That's God's business. And so when this comes in this cloud, but he also has something very interesting. He has a golden crown on his head. But it's not crown in the, the essence of what we knew and I would think of a crown that a king would wear. It's not a diadem. It's not a crown that is called a diadem. No, no. It is different than a diadem. This crown is a S-T-E-P-H-A-N-O-S. Stephanus. It, it means victor, victorious. In other words, he is not coming now as as a, a king, although he is a king, 
But he is coming victorious. He is about to reap the earth. He is about to pass the final judgment upon this earth. He is not the Lamb of God. He is coming as the victorious King of Kings. In, 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 in the book of Revelation, for instance, he also does have a crown that is a diadem. It says in the 19th chapter, the 12th verse, talking of Jesus, his eyes are a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, many crowns. He is a king of kings. But the crown here that he is wearing is not, not a sign of a king. It's a sign of someone who is victorious. And what does he have in his hand? Well, a sharp sickle. A sickle was used to harvest grain. So what this is, is a picture of Jesus Christ about to cut down all of his enemies. All of verse 14 is there to present Jesus Christ in all of his power, in all of his authority, in all of his majesty, victorious. He is the Son of Man, comes in a cloud. He has a golden crown on his head and a sickle in his hand to harvest the earth. Now, verse 15, some have trouble with. They say, well, he, he couldn't be, it couldn't be Jesus Christ in verse 14 because an angel is telling him what to do. That's not so out of, out of the ordinary. It's not so wrong. Let me explain it to you. It'll make sense to you in a second. In verse 15, it says, an angel delivers a message to, from the Father to the Son of Man that it is time for him to judge the earth. In other words, God's anger has reached its limit. His wrath is finally ready to be poured out upon mankind. It is time for God's grace to be over with. You see, that's why we plead with you. That's why you and I live in a wonderful age. We live in what is called the church age, the age of grace. God's unmerited favor is poured out upon your life and my life. We have been given everlasting life, and we have God's grace upon us. There will come a time, folks, in the end of the age that God's grace will be over with. It'll only be His wrath. And you must see Him as this. You must to understand and to appreciate and to love God as you ought to love Him. You must see Him as both sides of this coin, of the Lamb of God as well as the judge. So as the angel is saying, the time of God's grace is over with. Now comes His judgment. Now you can exercise God's judgment upon this earth. Now why is that out of the ordinary? It's not. When the disciples said, when will this time be? Jesus Christ said, this time is not for you to know. No one knows, not the angels who are in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so in Acts chapter 17, verse 13, a great cross-reference to this, it says about God the Father, He, God the Father, has fixed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness. Now, how will He judge us in righteousness? It says, He will judge us through a man, M, capital M-A-N, in other words, we'll see, a man whom He has appointed, having furnished proof, to all men of who he is. Who could it be? What's the proof? Here's the proof. He raised him from the dead. Now, who can that be? Well, that's Jesus. And so that our Lord doesn't know 
God the Father tells the angel, tell the son, it's now. And so he does as he's told. Now in verse 15 and verse 18, we see that the harvest of the earth and the grapes of the earth are ripe. I've already told you. The verb is ripe actually means dried up, useless, overripe. Best translation for it is rotten. It's of no value. It's not edible. It's not usable. The grain and the grapes, in this case the people on the earth, have passed the point of usefulness. They are fit only to be gathered up and disposed. Matthew chapter 13 verse 40 Just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. Makes sense now, doesn't it? It's starting to fit together some of the things that were said in the, in the New Testament when we read through uh, the Gospels. What we see from verses 15 and 18 is, is tremendous truth. It's not as... It's not as harrowing as it seems. It is for those who, who just say no, 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 no to God. But what we really see from verses 15 and verse 18 is God's patience upon all mankind. He has waited until the harvest, the grapes, in other words, the people, have long overdue been rotten, ripe. It ought to make sense to you what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter says this, The Lord is not slow about His promises, as some may count slowness. But, rather, Peter is saying, He is patient towards you. How is He patient? Not wishing for any of us to perish but for all of us to come to repentance. Listen, when the judgment of Jesus Christ finally comes to an unbelieving world, it will come where it is long overdue. The people have become ripe, rotten, useless, dried up. Well, one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture is verse 16. It is simple. It is without fanfare. It simply records the execution of God's divine judgment upon the earth. It simply says, Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. The frightening details of this judgment will unfold. As I've said to you over and over again, the book of Revelation is not in chronological order. It, it kind of jumps around. And, and so we are going to come upon chapter 16 in a while where it will explain what has just taken place. But we won't linger on it because we're talking enough about it today. We'll kind of go through it. But I want you to see... What happens to the earth when these final seven bold judgments fall on the earth? When the sickle of the Lord has reaped the earth? Look at, look at chapter 16. You really want to see some of this. Verse 2. The first angel 
who poured out his bowl unto the earth. The earth became loathsome, malignant sores upon people who had the mark of the beast on them. Then the second angel, in verse 3, poured out his bowl unto the sea, and the sea became like blood. Every living creature of the sea was died. Verse 4, the third angel poured out his bowl onto the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. The fourth angel, in verse 8, poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to the sun to scorch men with fire. And what did men do? Look at verse 9. They were scorched with fierce heat, and still they blasphemed the name of God. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl upon the throne of the beast. His kingdom became darkened. They gnawed their tongues because of the pain. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the Euphrates, and it was dried up so that the armies could march down. This is where verse 20 comes into effect, where there'll be blood everywhere, as it says, as they march down the valley of the Euphrates River. Last one, the seventh angel in verses 17 and 18. When the seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air, a loud voice came from the temple saying, It is done. It's over with, folks. It is done. And what happened was that there were flashes of lightning, there were sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there's never been on this earth before or ever will be again. These seven bold judgments mark the final reaping of, of God's judgment upon this earth. It comes without any special fanfare. It's just simply said, He who sat on the clouds swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was reaped. It is done, finished, over with. It's terrible. It's the most terrible of times. And then in verses 17 through 20, another angel comes out of the temple, actually two of them. This, this one angel is, is more than likely the angel that we saw in chapter 6, verses 9, 10, and 11. You might not remember, but I do well. It was the time where, where the people on the earth had been martyred, the believers, those that had trusted Christ during the tribulation period. They were martyred for their faith, and they were before the throne of God by the altar, and they were pleading with God, how long, holy and true, will you, will you wait to avenge our blood upon those who dwell on the earth? And he says, give them a robe, tell them to rest, that time is coming soon. This is it. In chapter 8, we see another angel who had power over fire, who threw fire to the earth. These are these two angels. And we see from verse 19, one of the angels was told to swing his sickle upon the earth, that is to give judgment to the earth, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, and throw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. The ripe, rotten harvest and grapes of the earth, in other words, the dried up, useless, overripe, rotten people who, who've just blasphemed God were finally judged. And they were taken, as it says in verse 19, not to the grace of God, but to the wrath of God. It's a terrible time. This is for any of us who love people, who, who love our, our family and friends who have just rejected this notion of Christianity. It, it ought to move your soul to try and to pray for them and to, to ask the Lord to, to touch their hearts. Because these people, these dear people, may I say dear, I don't know if I should or not, but 
they will be taken before the wrath of God. All hope is gone. And then in verse 20, I don't get it. It says, The wine press was trodden outside the city. Blood came up from the wine press up to the horses' bridles for a distance of 200 miles. I mean, that's staggering. I mean, it's beyond, it's beyond the comprehension. There was not one commentator that even gave a hint of what this is. How could it be four feet of blood for 200 miles? They do know, we do know that there will be millions of people who are engaged in the battle of Armageddon. All the nations are going to gather together. And can you believe it? They're going to fight against God. I mean, come on. I mean, haven't they heard that song, your arms are too short to box with God? Is there a song? I don't know. (laughs) Still, it's difficult to imagine what could produce a flow of blood up to the horse's bridles. It suggests a kind of slaughter to which blood will flow this deep. It's difficult to imagine. Whether it's literally or symbolically, we don't know. I don't know for sure. But what it does share with you and me is the overwhelming image of God's coming judgment to this earth. And it is terrible beyond our wildest dream. What it shows us is the vast multitudes who have rejected God's way. God's judgment is coming, people. That's the truth. So the question is, what do we do about it? What's our part? Our part is pure and simple, in my opinion. It's it's that you and I have been called to be light and salt to this darkened and dying world in which we live. You don't have to be a Billy Graham. You just have to be someone that cares for someone. Simply tell them maybe, give them a cold cup of water. The Bible says that's fine too. Just be kind. As it says in, in John chapter 13, if we have love for one another, and Jesus says, this is the kind of love I want you to have, the love that, that I have had for you. By this love, all people will know you're my disciples. Just care for our family members, care for our friends and family and, and anyone you come in contact with. It's, anyone will tell you that, that has ever gone out to have a bite to eat with me, I, I will always in, engage the, the people that are waiting on us to try to find out, do you church anywhere? Just to, just to get them to think, Kay and I were at one place quite a while ago and this guy invited us to a bite to eat and we started sharing with him. I didn't know him from Adam. Just started sharing with him. And he ended up telling us, you know, my mom and dad would be so happy you're sharing with me. They're both, they were a part, I think it was the Salvation Army, where they came? Yeah. He says, they've always wanted me to believe like you believe. We did our, our job. We shared Our business is to sow the seed. God's business, to harvest. That's what Dr. McGee went on and on about. His job, your job, my job, we don't harvest. That's God's. We just sow. We just put the seed out. 
It could be just by telling someone you love them. It's just sharing your faith. But I want you to be a, a people that, that catch that. I want you to be used as uniquely as God has saved you. I want you to be used in that unique fashion because he saved you in a very unique way. You might be quiet and humble. That's what God wants because he has someone out there that needs a quiet, humble person to share to them. They don't need someone that's going to roll, steamroll over them like me maybe. But there are people that need to be steamrolled over. And so we're useful too. We're all useful to the Lord we all can be used by him to sow the seed of God. And if no one comes to Christ through your life, that's God's business. You're just a sower. He harvests. He will harvest and he will judge and he will save. Now, have I ever told you I love you? I do with all my heart. I thank you for being here. I love you more than life itself. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of the Rock Community Church. Let's make an impact in this community, in this world in which we live, for the cause of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this privilege that you've given each of us. We have been called to do now what you were doing when you were here, and that's to seek and to save those who are lost. We'll sow the word of God, dear Father, and we'll let you harvest. You do with them as you so desire. Just keep us faithful. And let us be light and salt to this dark and dying world. Father, bless us, please. Allow us the privilege of serving you. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love you all so much. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much.